almost directly related to what we all experience today was baptism. The baptism of these kids where we're reminded that they're not just babies. They're not just these parents' babies. Um, These are people created in the image of God with a purpose and a calling and have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And they they have a destiny, a a purpose in, uh, in Christ. And so we get to celebrate that today, but it also leaves us with a question. 10, 15, 20, 25 years down the road, are these kids going to be, uh, is that going to be the same thing that defines them then? Will you proclaim that, that uh, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is what most defines them in this moment today? And will that be the defining thing about their lives as they describe it going forward? How do we ensure that our faith gets passed on to the next generation, to our kids? I've got two daughters. How do I make sure that, that their faith grows and, and develops and that they take it on to be what they describe about themselves, not just what I describe about them? So we're going to look at our scripture passage this morning and, and, and hope that that has some, some level of uh, wisdom and grace for us today. So uh, we're going to open our Bibles to 2 Timothy, but before we do... Um, we've been kind of practicing this litany before reading the scripture. So why don't, if you have your Bible with you, I want you to hold it up. If you're reading your Bible off your phone, you can uh, hold up your phone, and we're going to say this together, okay? Let's read it with me. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Devil, I am armed and should be considered dangerous. Let's read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God who I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard from me Keep as the pattern of sound teaching with the faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
This is a letter written from Paul to his uh, friend in ministry, his son in the faith, Timothy. Paul and Timothy met early on in Paul's journeys through, uh, through Asia Minor and into Macedonia um, when he was in Lystra. And in Lystra, he encountered this, this young man who, uh, whose father was a Greek, but whose mother was a believing Jew. That is, she was a Jew who had come to accept Christ as her Savior. And uh, Timothy was, was a young man who had started to display gifts of ministry. And Paul spent some time there uh, ministering in that town, and he saw Timothy and he thought, um, I want this guy to come on our ministry tour with me. I want him to, to join with me in, in spreading the gospel because he has some serious gifts. So he brings Timothy along, and Timothy ends up being uh, Paul's right-hand man in a lot of ways. He helps Paul write some letters. Uh, Paul kind of dispatches him to certain churches that are having some issues where Paul can't stay there, but Timothy can. So Timothy stays at those churches and helps give guidance and leadership in really, some really sticky situations. And so Paul and Timothy have been through a lot together. In fact, um, Paul uh, laid hands. You see in this passage, he said, um, when, when I, laid, we, we, I laid hands on you and gave you the gift of God. That's kind of referring to a baptism moment for Timothy where the gift of God was given to Timothy in the sight of the whole church and he was called into ministry. And so Paul's, Paul and Timothy has this close relationship. He's like a spiritual father to Timothy and he calls him my son. And yet Paul now is, is at the end of his life. Uh, he's gone through a, a number of things since uh, leaving Timothy uh, to pastor a church. He's headed back to Jerusalem when he's passing Ephesus, the church that Timothy is in. And Paul doesn't have time to stop in Ephesus, but uh, Timothy and some of the other leaders come out to the beach to meet him as he swings by. And Paul gets out of the boat and kneels down in the sand, and these elders just pray for him because Paul says, uh, you're probably not going to see me again. When I go to Jerusalem, they're going to imprison me, and you probably won't see me ever again. And so they pray over him, and they're crying. That's where Paul says, I'm remembering your tears. I, I, I eagerly desire to see you because I remember the tears, the tears that you cried over me when you were praying for me when I was off to prison. And now Paul is in a dungeon. Formerly, he was in like a house prison that was pretty nice, but now he's in a dungeon where most of his close friends don't even know where he is. And he has one person maybe who's taking care of him. And he hears news that everyone that he was ministering to and with in Asia has begun uh, departing the faith. They've begun abandoning him, he says later in this letter. Everyone's leaving me. I'm alone. And I'm worried that there's people coming in to preach fa- false doctrine, to preach false things about Jesus, to lead people astray from the truth that I worked so hard to establish in those places. It's being torn away. And he knows Timothy is in that setting. He's in the midst of all that. And he's writing Timothy. And I I read this letter and I think, is Paul nervous? Is Paul nervous about Timothy's faithfulness? He knows that Timothy believes the right things. He knows that Timothy was taught correctly. But he says, guard the faith. Keep the faith. Fan into flame the gift of faith. He says, the spirit God gave us is not one of timidity. Don't be shy. He says, don't be ashamed. Over and over again, he says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's almost as if Paul is worried that Timothy is going to leave him too. And not only leave him, but leave the gospel. Even if in his head he still believes the same things, maybe Timothy is about to start, being, uh, start wavering in his practice of the faith. He's not going to be able to keep the faith in the midst of these cultural tides that are pulling him in other directions. That he sees suffering 
And he sees his mentor in prison, and he, he experiences cultural shifts. And even within his church, people are starting to believe different and false things about the gospel. He's experiencing persecution. And under these pressures, is he going to be able to keep the faith? Is he going to be able to not waver in the midst of this cultural uh, landscape, even in the church where people are drifting away? Paul seems to be concerned not for Timothy's beliefs, but in his practice, is Timothy going to be able to hold it together? There's a, a young man named Lucas who I got to witness come to faith when he was in high school. Young man. He was probably same age. I don't know what, exactly what age Timothy was when Paul first called him, but I wonder if it was a similar age or just around a junior or senior in high school. And he was in my cabin. At, I was a camp counselor for, for our church that went up um, to camp, and he was a new kid who was in my cabin. I didn't know him, and he came in, and he did not have a faith background. He later said, well, I just came because it sounded like fun. It sounded like a fun thing to do. And during that week, he encountered Scripture. I remember we had a, 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 like a, a time to read the Bible, and we gave each kid a, a passage to, to read, and I came across him, and he had it open to Genesis 1. I said, I didn't, I didn't give you Genesis 1. Why are you reading Genesis 1? He said, well, I've never read the Bible, so I thought I probably should start at the beginning. <laughs> it's like, oh, you have a long journey ahead of you. <laughs> Just be aware. There's some things coming up that might, yeah. So I um, don't want to spoil, spoiler alert. Um, so Lucas found faith that week through his encounter with Scripture and his encounter with God and worship and his experience of of the community of Christ that he wanted to be a part of. And he became a leader in that youth group. I got to see him come into faith and make his profession of faith. And then when he graduated his high school and he left the youth group, he went off to New York. And I was a little bit nervous because he didn't have a faith community to plug into. And at his, at his school, there wasn't a very vibrant you know, faith community. So throughout, I was nervous. Is, is Lucas going to stay the course? Is he going to be able to live out his faith? Even if it's something he identifies as Christian, is he going to be able to live out his faith? And I was blessed to, to get text messages occasionally, and I still do from him encouraging me and spurring me on. And it reminds me that the, the gift that God has given him is still alive and growing. And that encourages me. Paul is looking for that same kind of encouragement from Timothy. Are you still keeping the faith this, this kid who's become like his son, are you still keeping the faith? And he has reason to be nervous. And I had reason to be nervous about Lucas. I've got other people in my life who, like I'm thinking of my friend, my best friend, who, who grew up going to youth group with me in, in high school and has departed from the faith since. People that I've led worship alongside who've decided to, to leave the faith, who've decided not to follow Jesus anymore. Even my own, um, my youth group leaders in high school who ran small groups who led me in engaging with Scripture and asking what God was doing in my life and praying for me have since left the faith. And it's part of a trend. There's some kind of scary statistics out there. 44% of high school graduates leave the faith of their parents when they graduate high school. 44%. Um, across the United States, no major Christian tradition is growing in the U.S. today. If you were to look at the census data from 2015, you'd see that about 22% of the United States is between the ages of 18 through 29. But in the church, it's only about 10%. Meaning we've got about half the people in that generation who are 
by any of our metrics participating in the faith tradition uh, of Christianity. With 44% of people leaving the faith tradition of their parents and about half the people who ought to be practicing the faith of their parents not, not in church anymore. We have to ask ourselves if we've passed on an empty faith. What have we done as adults? What have we done as mentors to pass on a vibrant faith if half the people we're mentoring, if half the people we have, we have uh, guard over as spiritual parents are leaving the faith? How are we able to pass on our faith to the next generation? Because our generations are experiencing the same kind of shame, same kind of fear associated with the gospel, same kind of cultural ties, uh, family ties, busyness that keep them from engaging with the life that Christ has for them, that keep them from engaging in Christian community or studying scripture or worshiping God with their whole, uh, their whole selves. And we can ask ourselves, have we done the, a good enough job? But even that question, I think, is insufficient. Because I know plenty of parents, and you guys included, I've talked with a number of people in this room whose kids maybe have wandered from the faith and who pray for them daily, are deeply concerned about, about the faith of their children who they've loved and they've tried to raise in faith, and yet they're not exhibiting that in their own lives. And I couldn't point to any of these people and say, well, they haven't lived it out well enough. I think of Bill and Paula, who are, have been spiritual mentors to me, and some of the struggles they've had with their children. And I look at Bill and Paula and think they are strong examples of what it means to follow Jesus, and yet their kids are experiencing their own uh, doubts and questions and even wandering away from the faith and even into lifestyles that, that their parents aren't excited about, that really are concerning. So is it enough to say that Paula and Bill or any of us, the reason our kids are not following the faith is because we haven't set a good enough example? I wonder if in this story we are less like Paul trying to get our kids to follow Jesus and more like Timothy seeking to live out an authentic expression of faith ourselves. That that what do we have to pass on to our kids? Do we pass them an empty book or a set of doctrines? No, we pass on to them a lifestyle lived out that they can see. But even that is not enough. So I look into this passage and I say, God, where is your word of grace for us? Where is the truth, where is the hope in this passage for the ability to pass on our faith to the next generation? And what I see in this passage is this God of grace. It's God of grace who himself keeps the gospel alive in the church. God is keeping the gospel alive. Look at verse 9 and 10. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. I was going to stay there. Actually, just verse 9. This is a verse that I skipped over the first time I read the passage. I thought, okay, Paul says, fan into flame. Timothy, fan into flame your gift. And he says, guard and keep the faith. And I thought, that's something I can seek my teeth into. And I skip right over this passage where it talks about God's grace. Where he says, it's nothing you have done. It's nothing you have done. It's God's gift. God has put something extremely powerful inside of you. He's put something powerful inside of you. 
And here's how it happened. It said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That, that uh, Timothy is not alone. He is preceded by his mother and his grandmother who have prayed for him. And Paul himself, who has laid hands on Timothy and, and given him the gift through the laying of hands. It's just what we did this morning with our baptism. We, we laid hands on these kids and we said, you are now given a gift on behalf of your spiritual family, we now pass on to you our faith that our parents pass on to us and, and their parents pass on to them and back and back and back since Jesus Christ, this gift has been given and it will not die. We can trust God for that. That God is a God of grace who will not let his church die. It's God's church. He will not let faith die. It's God's faith. It's God's gift into our lives and so God does the work of sustaining the church, of keeping the gospel alive, even in the midst of all of our cultural forces, even in the midst of the fear and the shame associated with following Jesus. We can trust that God is faithful and God is gracious. He gives us the gift. All we have to do is fan it into flame. We don't have to do it. We don't have to accomplish our salvation or accomplish the salvation of others. All we have to do is fan it into flame. And the gift is enough in itself. Another passage that we read this week was Luke 17, 5 through 10. I have it right here. It starts this way. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith, which seems like a good request. Increase our faith. And Jesus replies, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. And then he goes on to tell this story about this master and servants and the servants expect to be thanked and praised just for doing their job. And he says, you too, just put it into practice. Just do your job. It's almost as if he's saying, when you say increase our faith, you don't need more faith. You just need to put into practice what you already have. The gift of faith, even if it's as small as a mustard seed, is extremely powerful. And it's enough. It's enough if we just plant it. We don't need more faith, especially in our consumeristic culture. I think of my, my daughters at the dinner table who, uh, who have a plate of food and they've eaten a little bit and then they ask for more. Like, you have plenty of food on your plate. Just eat what I gave you. <laughs> eat the food I gave you. It's like what Jesus is saying. Use the faith that I gave you. That's all you need to do. You don't need more. You don't need to ask for more. All you need to do is, is put into practice the little thing I, I've given you. And when I say faith, it's not a belief. Faith here is, is more like action. It's trusting, the kind of action that depends on God. So Jesus is saying, just do something small, something little. Put it into practice. Fan it into flame. Plant the mustard seed. I think that's one of the mysteries described in this text, is that, that uh, the gift God has given us in grace, that we are to sustain, all it needs to be done is, is put it into practice. For my birthday this year, Rachel gave me a wonderful present. It was one that I'd been asking for. It was a, a starter flight lesson. Are there any pl- pilots in the room? Okay, guys, flying a plane is amazing. It's incredible. You should definitely try it. But she gave me a gift of a, a, like a beginner's flight lesson. She gave it to me on June 26, my birthday. And I was so excited about it. And I was like, I'm totally going to call them up tomorrow and schedule an appointment. Because Rachel said, you know, they can, you can just call them up 
and uh, she handed me the gift certificate, just, just call him up. And uh, so I made a point to call him up, and I didn't call him up. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I got to call them up next week. I'll, I'll do it next week. So I, I, I didn't call them up. I was going to, and then I didn't. I was going to, I didn't. Week after week, month after month, I didn't call to cash in my gift. And I thought, I paused. I was like, why am I, have I not done this? There's all kinds of excuses I've given myself. Uh, the weather, maybe the weather's too rough. We had some storms, thunderstorms. I don't want to be flying in a thunderstorm. Uh, it's too windy. Um, maybe the Saturday I'm too busy. There's too many things going on. Um, I don't know what to expect. Um, am I really the kind of person who should be flying a plane? <laughs> All these kinds of things. What's it going to involve for me? Um, finally, I realized I was just scared. It's scary. It's scary to do something new, especially something like flying a little tiny piece of tin up in the air and trusting your whole life and uh, into the hands of a pilot that I don't know. Um, so I, I finally called up, and I'll, I'll, he said, okay, just come in on Saturday. I was like, that was it? That was easy. Okay, I'll just come on Saturday. And he hands me the keys, and he said, all right, so I'm going to walk you through everything you need to know. Walked me all the way around the plane, took like 40 minutes just to do a pre-flight check, got in the plane, and he had me start the engine, and it just, it's one little propeller. That's all that's pushing the plane forward. I'm like, this is crazy. So we start going forward, and he takes the plane off. And once we're up to 1,500 feet, he's like, all right, it's all yours. I'm like, ha, 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 Okay. If I turn, is there any way that I can crash us right now? He's like, don't even worry about it. And he has his own steering wheel on his side. It's all kind of linked up, so I can't do anything he can't already do. And we're flying. I get to see all over our area and get to see some aerial. It was beautiful. He's like, all right, now you're going to land the plane. It's like, you want me to land the plane? <laughs> okay. And uh, he walked me through it. We landed the plane. And it was amazing. Incredible experience. One of the scariest things I've ever done, but an incredible experience. And the whole time, he's, he's got his hands up. There's nothing I could have done to ruin it. He's got his hands. He's an experienced pilot. He knows exactly what he's doing. All I had to do was show up. All I had to do was show up, and it got put into practice. Now I've flown a plane. How cool is that? But I didn't have to do anything other than show up. And sometimes I feel like that's, that's how faith is. Sometimes I think that's what this scripture says about, about a mustard seed. Sometimes it's just one little thing that you just need to do to, to put it in the ground. You don't have to, you know, and there are other times Jesus describes it like a, a seed that you plant, and all the birds of the air can, it'll grow, and all the birds in the air can come and perch in it. Sometimes we don't have to, make the plant grow, all we have to do is put it in the ground. And Timothy has been given that gift already. He's already been given the mustard seed. And Paul's saying, just put it in the ground. Last week, many of us were at Arlene's funeral, and we had a chance to hear a lot of music. We got to celebrate her life. One of my favorite moments was when her granddaughter, Sierra, was standing in front uh, with her dad, reading scriptures that testified to the resurrection of Christ and the promise of resurrection for her grandma. Um, it was beautiful. Her dad was like just sobbing the whole time to watch uh, her daughter, his daughter and, and uh, his mom's granddaughter read scriptures that testify to the faith of their grandma. Realizing that, that Arlene had done enough. Arlene had done enough. She had planted her seed. She had lived out her faith in simple ways. She had played her piano. She gave testimony to Christ in her life by playing her piano faithfully almost every day of her life, I'll bet. 
And her kids and her grandkids got to see that. And so here we are sitting in a room with her whole extended family, um, giving testimony to the resurrection because of the testimony that she lived out in her life. They say, in, um, the same people who came out with some of those statistics I read earlier about, about 44% of kids leaving the faith of their parents, um, said, uh, wrote another book called Sticky Faith, talking about the practices that we can put into place that help us pass our faith on to the next generation. And they have this uh, ratio in there about five to one that f- takes five adults usually um, to one kid, that kids need to be surrounded by a community of adults who um, are investing in them, who know their names, who are praying for them, who are modeling for them what it looks like to live out their faith. And I love seeing that play out at Victory Point. Today we, we said vows about that, that we are going to be that for these kids, and I hope we're that for, for one another and for one another's kids, that we can live this out together. But um, I wanted to invite uh, Aaron, Aaron Vrucing forward. Aaron, there you are. I, Aaron was courageous enough to allow me to to um, ask her a couple of questions um, today. Actually, where's that microphone? Raise that anyway. Oh, sweet. You guys want to welcome Aaron? Okay. I just have a couple of questions for you, okay? Aaron, can you list um, two or three adults who show you what it means to follow Jesus? I agree. I think both your parents exemplify that for me. They show a model, I think, for our whole church, for what it looks like to follow Jesus. And it's cool to hear that they show that to you. Can you think of other adults in your life who, who are pictures of Christians for you? Thank you. Um, and can you think of, I know you're part of a missional community. Is that right? Not anymore. Okay, not anymore. <laughs> but those, those adults in that missional community, do you, know, do you know any of their names? Do you know that your missional community leaders, are they, uh, do they know your name? Yes. And do they pray for you? Yes. And do you see them opening scripture? Yes. Yeah. And um, do you feel like uh, you have a, a community of people in your life, either in this church or outside, that are showing you what it looks like to follow Jesus? Yes. Awesome. Okay, one more thing. Uh, last week, we got to do Leadership Today, Day, and I was blessed to have you in my huddle. Do you remember that part where we kind of broke off and we did some discipleship together? Were there any other kids in our group? No. Okay. Um, there were you and then four other adults. And do you remember kind of what the purpose of what we were doing? Kind of, do you remember what we were doing together? We were 
What kind of question do we ask about together? What kind of questions do we ask each other? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. I can't remember. All right, what is God? Remember the first question we had? What is God? Telling us? Yeah. And what's the second question? What are we going to do in response? Yep, what are we going to do about it? And uh, did you walk away with a couple of things um, that you could say God was saying to you? And did you walk away with a couple of things that maybe you could do about it? And did you see other adults doing the same thing? All right, awesome. Thank you, Aaron. All right, I totally put her on the spot. Thanks for letting me do that to you, Aaron. Um, but for me, that's a picture of what it looks like. The fact that um, Aaron is not exceptional. There's a number of kids in this church who are being poured into by you guys. And kids are looking to us to see how faith is being lived out. And uh, if we can do that together, that gives me a lot of hope. We don't have control over whether uh, our faith takes root in the next generation, but we do have the ability to fan into flame the gift that God has given us and to fan into flame the gift of Aaron and other kids who are in our midst to be able to say, what is God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? To disciple our kids together and to include them in what it looks like to disciple um, after Jesus. So my encouragement today is, is to not... Uh, it's not like neglect our own faith in this, but to take a hold of our faith to realize God has given us a gift, each of us. And we're able to, to fan it into flame. And God has given us, given the, the people that we've been trusted and put, in, uh, uh, put over to care for them, he's, he's given them a gift too that we can help fan into flame. So I just want to um, take a second to uh, reflect. I'll invite the band forward now. Because um, I want to take a, give us a moment to reflect on what God is saying to us. Maybe there's something that you have um, been feeling that God has been nudging you to do or to respond to, whether it's in this message or whether it's from a scripture passage this week, something that God's had in your heart for a long time. And maybe you've put it off, just like I uh, put off uh, cashing in the, um, the gift card for a flight lesson. Maybe there's something in your life that God has... Um, nudged you to do, encouraged you to do, and you haven't done it. What's one thing you could do, a small thing? It doesn't have to be this big plan. Uh, it could be just something small like sending a text message or an email or contacting a friend or um, saying yes to something. Um, so let's just take a second to, to ask God, how would, um, how would we respond to that? And then also another question is, who are the people that God has entrusted to you? Who are the people that, that you are praying for, the, the, the Timothys in your life, that you're, you're hoping you can fan into flame their gift? Um, and let's be, be in praying for them. So we'll just take a, a moment to reflect on that together.
God, who are the Timothys in our life today? The people whose faith we want to fan into flame. Bring those people to mind right now. God, I thank you that you are trustworthy with those people, that you will sustain faith, and the gift that you've given them is so powerful, and we can trust that you're at work in their lives already. We ask that you give us the strength as a faith community to put our own faith into practice to fan into flame the gift that you have given us. And so right now we want to ask you, God, how can we put our faith into practice today? What's one simple thing that we could do to demonstrate that we trust you? God, we thank you that it's not because of anything we have done, but you have given us a gift, a gift of faith, salvation in Jesus Christ. From before the world began, you set us apart. And that fills us with hope that this is your church. We are your people, and we commit ourselves to you today.